Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. I don't know if any of you remember this. It was it happened a few years ago. And I have been sitting on this illustration for a while now, but at the Oscars, there was an infamous situation called Envelope Gate. Anyone remember this? Where Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway got up to announce the best picture. This was the big award that, you know, everyone at the Oscars wants to get and uh, the prized award they want to win. And they read and announced a movie called La La Land had won Best Picture and everybody involved in the movie La La Land gets up and they're so excited and they start giving their thank yous and all of these things. And then some producers walk on stage and then say, actually, the wrong movie has been announced. The real winner is a movie called Moonlight. And so all of the people of that acted in and produced and directed and everything of Moonlight got up and they stand in front of the people of La La Land and start giving their thank yous and everything and there's just this kind of chaos happening at this award show. Everything is chaotic and I love this picture that was released about a week into this thing that captures the chaos of what everyone was feeling of these celebrities in the front row and uh, I love you've got Ben looking at his friend Matt like what are we going to do about this? Like, we're going to fix this. And whoever this lady is, she is just shocked and appalled. And, but here's, here's what I love most in this picture. Look at the rock. Look at his eyes. It's <laughs> like somebody's going to pay. And uh, that's actually ended up what people started talking about. It's like, who's going to pay for this? Someone must be held accountable. And I remember just laughing at this for like two weeks. There's all these events happening in the world, all of this stuff going on, and the media is just overwhelmed and overcome of who's going to make this right and who's going to pay for this and whose fault was this? And like, it, like we all just cared and it was gripping us so much or something. But that was just human, you know, humanity coming out or human nature coming out. And they would say, well, was it the announcers? Is it the guardian of the envelope? Was it the organizers? Somebody has to pay. And then a couple of weeks later, the accountants step forward and they say, well, we're responsible and we're the ones that are going to ensure it never happens again. But there was just this rage that somebody had to pay. And this was, this was a mistake. It was a blunder. No one woke up that morning saying, uh, we're going to embarrass the filmmaker, these filmmakers of La La Land, or we're going to make like these filmmakers of Moonlight feel really awkward. But we see this all the time in our life. I'm amazed how often, like, I've been at a kid's soccer game where a referee makes a mistake, and it's like justice is just rising up in everyone, and someone's got to pay for this. Who's going to make this right? What are we going to do to make this right? Or a clerk will mess something up at a checkout, or a, a company has an interruption in their service, and like, the, the service is run 24-7, but there's this little interruption. Now, who's going to pay for this and if a mistake causes us to want accountability how much more so does even our sin cause us to want 
accountability. And humanity has always wrestled with this to say there is something broken and someone's going to need to pay for it. Someone will need to be held accountable. And the bigger question that we carry is not who is going to pay for our mistakes, our blunders, but who is going to pay for our violations against the character of God? Who is going to pay for our sins? And uh, maybe you don't believe the Bible. Maybe you don't believe that the character of God has been violated. But I would submit certainly you have violated at one time or another even your own standards for yourself. And you wonder who's going to pay for your guilt. And there has been advice I've been given and you've probably heard it too like, Well, don't feel guilty. Just live and let live. Don't worry about it. Just move on. But in your mind, you feel the regrets about your past and the regrets about not only your mistakes, but your your sins. Excuse me. Others will say, well, another way to overcome your guilt is just do more good things than bad things. Like we've all done bad in our life, and, but if you'll just do more good, you won't feel so guilty. And the problem with that advice is it's absolutely exhausting. Like how do you ever know that you've done good enough? And by the way, while we're doing good or trying to do good, we're also still sinning. We're also still doing bad. And who at the end of the day is going to say what's good and what's bad anyway? And things are broken and someone who's going to pay for the guilt? Who will, be, who will be condemned? What we see in Romans 8 is that someone stepped forward to take the fall and to pay and to make a sacrifice. Someone volunteered to make the sacrifice. Romans 8, 1 through 4 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We're going to break this down today, but Romans chapter 8 is this pinnacle chapter in this amazing book that the Apostle Paul wrote to the people of Rome and the Roman church. That's why it's called the book of Romans. But it is a powerful, amazing, amazing book where Romans 8 is the pinnacle of it. So much has flowed from Romans 8 in our faith. The Reformation itself was built around the truths of Romans and of Romans chapter 8. Romans has also powerful personal impact. It tells us how to see ourselves the way God sees us, how to live the life that we're called to live. Such powerful truths and promises. Let me just give you a quick, quick recap because this begins in Romans 8 with the word therefore let me just give you a quick recap of what's built up in Romans 1 through 7 to give us these powerful truths Romans 1 we see that God is awesome and powerful and that you can see it in creation and we can feel it in our conscience that we can understand that there is good and evil and that it's pointing to a standard that is higher than us. 
But we also see in there that we have fallen short of that. And even though that we're told our whole lives growing up that we're awesome and amazing, that we have something in us that is broken as well. And that we fall short of the glory of God, of the standard of God, the standard that he has put in us that we feel in our conscience. But the good news comes along in Romans 5 that says, while we were still sinning, while we were still breaking this standard, Christ died for us, that he loved us in the middle of our brokenness and he came to save us. Romans 6 that, that says that the penalty for sin, the cost of sin is death, that someone must die but the gift of God is everlasting life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Then Romans 7 comes along and says that, Paul says, even though we've received this gift, he says, we still struggle. He says, I still struggle. I do things that I don't want to do, and I don't do things that I know that I should do and really want to do. And it can feel hopeless. It can feel powerless. But what do you do when you feel like you cannot make it? What do you do when you feel like you're not good enough? What do you do when you feel like things are falling apart? What do you do when you can't make it? If you're taking notes, write this in. You trust God's promise. You turn to God. You turn to His promises. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I love that word now. Like not in 10 years. Not in some undisclosed time but right now because everything may feel like it's falling apart right now you may feel like you can't make it right now but God says I want you to see me then I want you to see yourself then I want you to see yourself the way that I see you that there is no condemnation now no condemnation doesn't mean that there are no mistakes or there are no failures, or that there is no sins, that there's no rebellion. We know even after we're a believer, we still make sin, we still make mistakes, we still sin. We still have issues, we still have problems. So what does it mean to have no condemnation from God? It, it means three specific things if, if you're taking notes. No condemnation means God does not punish you. Now, God corrects us, God guides us, God disciplines us, but any parent who only punishes a child when the child does something wrong, um, the parent's just doing that for their own sake, just because they're angry. But when you discipline, when you correct, you're doing it for the child's sake. I don't know if you've noticed this, but many times believers when they're feeling guilty about their sin, they tend to see everything that's happening wrong in their life as a punishment from God. Like, they've got this sin, they're feeling guilty about it, God broke my car because I did this sin. Or I got this flat tire. Or they've got a guilty conscience, so believers, sometimes they'll start to think, well, I have this illness stricken upon me in retaliation from God because of my sin. Even little things throughout the day will start to feel like punishments. But the truth of the matter is God is not punishing you. He corrects, he guides, he convicts, he disciplines, but he does not punish you. Number two, God does not reject you. He'll never treat you as anything less than his child. For some, that rejection is that cold stare of rejection you might have received in your family or... 
when someone in your life just uh, disappeared and you never heard from them really again. But the one who shouldered your sins on the cross does not give you the cold shoulder. You may want to keep him at arm's length, but he does not reject you. And number three, God does not remove his blessings from you. What does no condemnation mean? He does not remove his blessings from you. Now, it's clear that when we sin, uh, there is loss. We live in a cause and effect universe where there is loss in our life. There may be loss in our family, maybe even the loss of life as a result of sin. Sin does not bring about good fruit, but God does not remove you. It's like you're sitting at a great banquet table of God and all his blessings are laid out before you no condemnation means that he will not remove you from that table you may turn away from it but he will not remove you from it look at Psalm 103 verse 10 he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities for as high as the heavens are above the earth so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. The east could never touch the west. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. There is no condemnation. Now, who is this promise to? Who is this true for? How do you get it? Because no condemnation is not, it's not true for everyone. It tells us that the secret to no condemnation is being in something. And it's not being in a Bible study. It's not for those who are in a good mood. It's not for those who are in a certain outlook. It's no, it's for those who are in Christ. In Christ. Because when God sees you in Christ, he sees Jesus. He cannot condemn Jesus, so he cannot condemn you. Let me ask you a question. If God says that in, in Christ, he won't condemn you, who are you to condemn yourself? I know people who say, well, God won't reject me, so I better reject myself. Or I better punish myself so that God can't. And what you're trying to do right there is that's actually blasphemy. You're trying to take the place of God. And God has said, I will not condemn you. You cannot in the smallest way pay the price for your sin. Christ has paid for it. And he says, if you get in Christ, he will not condemn you. Don't condemn yourself. Condemnation will never change you, by the way. Like whenever I preach this, someone says, well, don't you think people are just going to feel free, uh, more free to sin? No, no. Like condemnation doesn't change. You cannot change yourself by condemning yourself. That's why nagging doesn't work. Does nagging work to change you? A church was asked that by an old country preacher one time. Does nagging ever work to change you? And an old guy in the back goes, ah, eventually... <laughs> and we all understand that but it only changes you as long as the nagging is happening but when you feel like you're not going to make it like you can't make it to God 
Like you can't make it to heaven. Like you can't make it in this life. Like you don't have what it takes. You trust God's promise that you are in Christ. Why? Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, what the law was powerless to do, God did. The law here is referring to uh, God's ways, God's commandments that we find in the Old Testament. And the law is beautiful. The law is good. It comes from our good God. It shows us his character. But those laws cannot forgive you. They can show you that you need to be forgiven. Praise God for them. But they cannot forgive you. They can show you that you need healing, but they cannot heal you. Why? Because they are weakened by our own flesh. But what the law could not do, God did. Has anyone in here ever had a broken bone before? Now, did anyone, did you keep the x-ray for your broken bone? I remember my mom kept the x-ray for my broken collarbone. She's very proud of it for some reason. I don't know why, but... Why would you, why is the x-ray powerful? Because it shows what's going on and what needs to happen. The x-ray cannot heal you. The x-ray is good because it shows you reality, but it can't heal you. The healing process begins with something showing you what needs to be fixed. The law couldn't do it. But what the law could not do, God did. What did he do? How did he do it? He did it by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned, he did not condemn you, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Next week, we're going to talk about living according to the Spirit and how to live this out, and we'll go into the next section of Romans 8. But whose flesh was sin condemned in? We're in church. The answer is Jesus. It's always Jesus, right? Sin was condemned in the flesh of Jesus. Jesus was sent as a sin offering. My flesh weakened the law. God in the flesh upholds the law, fulfills the law, sustains the law. You see, God's people, whenever they sinned, an offering had to be given. And you'd go to the tabernacle or temple and there would be a a lamb or a goat, spotless, and would represent symbolically put on the lamb or the goat the sins of the people and the lamb would be sacrificed or be slain. But it could never fully take away sin because next week there'd be another sin sacrifice because there would be more sinning. And Jesus comes along and fulfills the law in the flesh and is a once and for all sacrifice. And all sin is put on him and condemned in the flesh. And that's what this teaches. So two big thoughts today is that if you are in Christ, you are not condemned. Christ was condemned for you. And if you're wrestling with all this talk of sin and guilt, why does God have to punish sin? Why couldn't God just forget about it? Well, God answers that. The God is holy, and sin must be dealt with. 
And if he just pushes it under the rug, there would be no justice there. And praise God that he wants to deal with sin. Because I don't want to live in eternity with all these sins and all these faults and all these failures and all this rejection and all this rebellion of God. We need God to deal with sin. We don't want it to live on forever. And he's a God who is just. And he deals with the sin in his flesh, not in ours. There is no condemnation for you because Christ was condemned for you. Our God does not demand a sacrifice from you. He sent his one and only son to be a once and for all sacrifice for our sins. And now we live our lives according to the spirit. Live our lives as a holy sacrifice for God. He doesn't say give me something. He gave himself. It's different than every other religion. Every other religion demands a sacrifice from you, something from you. God says, I have sacrificed for you. So if you're wrestling with this thought, is God mad or angry or having a good day towards me when I'm doing good things, a bad day towards me when I'm doing bad things, that's not how God chooses to operate toward you. Because God employed a different operation. God poured out his holy anger on Jesus. And now he doesn't just tolerate you. All of his anger has been replaced with his grace, his mercy, his goodness towards you. He loves you deeply. There is no wrath left for you because Jesus drank the last cup or the last drop from the cup of suffering and wrath when he went to the cross for us. One time, uh, years ago, my wife and I went to Alaska to visit a friend and we drove through uh, this area that had been burned over by a wildfire. And as we drove through there, I just started thinking about the wrath of fire and how it spreads and is relentless and it burns up everything in its place and thought about the bravery of our firefighters and just thank God for our first responders who are running to danger when the rest of us are running away and they put out a fire. But have you ever heard of the phrase of fighting fire with fire? That... Sometimes they will cause, they will actually cause a section of ground to experience wrath so that it's safe. So we drove up several more miles into the state and we came to this other place that was burned over. And I said, oh man, I cannot believe this wildfire made it all the way up here. And the guy we were with said, no, 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 no. This is actually a prevention fire. This is a controlled burn. They meant to burn this. And this is called the black or the burned over area and it's safe. And thank God we don't actually have to do much of this in our area of the country. But a backfire operation is one where they will, the the firefighters will position themselves between the, the fire and the community. And they'll anchor themselves maybe off of a road. And they will start a controlled fire that will burn up to the wildfire. That way, when the wildfire comes in, there's no more fuel left for it to burn because it's been all burned up. So the place that is black or burned over is actually safe from fire. In fact, the burned over place is a great safety zone to run to. So sometimes in communities, they will do a controlled burn to give a safe place for people to evacuate to that a place that's out of fuel and it cannot be burned up. And they can go to and be standing in a place that has been burned, the fire cannot reach them. Romans 8.1 says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in 
Christ Jesus. So God is holy, and because He's holy, sin cannot be in His presence. At the same time, He loves you deeply, wants to save you, created you for His purposes, and Jesus has become this burned-over place that God chose to pour out all of His condemnation on the cross on Jesus. So even though we live in a world that is filled with smoke, and the smoke of sin, and the danger of sin, and there is fire raging all around us, And there will ultimately be real fire to come, a wave of fire to purify the earth of God's holiness. If we throw ourselves on Jesus, He is the burned over place. He is a safe place where there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Sin has to be dealt with. And it was put on Christ on the cross. And if you throw yourself on Christ, you are on safe ground, solid ground, a safe place. We don't work our way to Him. He worked His way to us. And He's a God who substitutes Himself for us. You are not condemned as Christ was condemned for you. Verse 3 says, And so He condemned sin in the flesh. Whose flesh was sin condemned in Jesus Christ on the cross? Number two, if you are in Christ, you are declared perfect. Christ's perfection was given to you. God actually looks at you as though, as if you had kept all of the law, as if you had obeyed every command, as if you had fulfilled all the law. Not only did Christ substitute himself by dying in your place, he substituted himself with his life living in your place. Not only was he burned over so you wouldn't have to be, he lived a perfect life in your place to give you that credibility. Verse 4 says, In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. This is a deep thing to understand, but I, I also believe we could understand it quite simply. I, uh, a guy I know has a daughter. who uh, His young daughter come, comes home one day and says, Dad, I really want a sticker chart. And he says, what's a sticker chart? She says, well, a sticker chart, my friends have one. It's basically something, we can put it like up on the refrigerator, and every time I do something good, if I obey extra special, I get a sticker. And once the chart is filled up, I get a prize, like a toy. So not really a chore chart, this is a sticker chart for obeying. And if you're here today and have done something like a sticker chart before, don't acknowledge that in front of everyone because the illustration does not end well for the sticker chart. But there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, okay? So this daughter says, I want the sticker chart, and the dad says, well, my goodness, who doesn't want their kid to obey more? So he pulls out a big sheet of paper, pulls it out on the table, And he starts like going to town, he's got his ruler and he puts out the graph and uh, he gets some stickers and he puts it on the fridge and he says, okay, every time you obey extra special, we'll put a sticker up there. He realizes in about three days that he has created the most uh, religious legalistic monster he's ever seen in his life because it's every day I shared my toy with Amy. Can I get a sticker? Uh, I said, yes, ma'am, to the lady at the store. Can I have a sticker? And he just wanted her to obey because, like, he lets her live there, right? And, like, he's a good dad. And so, like, not just for a sticker, 
So he says, you know, we're not doing the sticker chart anymore. But before he took it down, he thought, you know, I'll use this to try and teach her uh, a lesson about the Christian faith. So when she goes to bed that night, he sat down and he added spaces to the sticker chart. And, and he, he, he made a bigger one. And then he took all the stickers, every sticker he could find, and he filled in every space with the sticker. And then he goes back over and he fills in between all the spaces and fills out all the margin and has covered this piece of paper with stickers to where you can't even see the piece of paper anymore and puts it up on the fridge. The next morning, his daughter walks out, comes out, looks at the fridge. Oh, yes! He takes the sticker chart, puts it down, sits down with his daughter and says, honey, did you obey enough to get the reward of all these stickers? No. Who do you think gave you all these stickers? Dad, did you give me all these stickers? And he says, yes, and I want you to obey me, not because you'll get a sticker, but because you already have all the stickers, and I love you and approve of you, and I want you to obey and us to live in relationship because you already have that reward. You already have that approval. You've already got me. And he says, this is exactly what Jesus did for daddy. He said, and Jesus wants to do this for you. He said, Jesus came here for dad because I could never be good enough. And he says, daughter, I have sinned horribly against God. And there was no way I could ever flag God down or get his approval. And he came to me and he fulfilled all the commandments for me. And he died in my place and he gave me all the stickers. And he's thinking, this is the moment that my daughter's going to get it. And we'll tell this story for the rest of her life of how she gave her life to Christ over the sticker chart. And she looks up to him and says, do I still get the toy? <laughs> And he says, yes, you still get the toy. Get in the truck. We're going to get the toy. And I want you to understand that if you are in Christ, you see, this childish example is how people live all the time. And I have met mature, grumpy, legalistic people who are there living their life for a sticker. And they're saying, if I obey extra special, God's going to give me a sticker to put on my sticker chart. And God says, no, all the perfection, all the righteousness is yours through the glory of Christ Jesus who gave it to you. You can't reach it. You can't get to it. The glory is not yours. You have been justified. I want to close with this quote from Jerry Bridges. He wrote about what it means to be justified and uh, why that's important is because the word condemnation in verse 1 is actually a legal term. It means you're condemned, like you're going to die, you're going to uh, lose this. And justified is the exact opposite. It's also a legal term. So if there's no condemnation, it's because you're not condemned, you're justified. And if you're justified, there's no condemnation. Jerry Bridges says there's an old play on the word justified. Just as if I'd never sinned. But here's another way of saying it. Just as if I'd always obeyed, both are true. The first refers to the transfer of our moral debt to Christ. So we're left with a clean ledger, just as if we'd never sinned. The second tells us our ledger is now filled with the perfect righteousness of Christ. So it's just as if we'd always obeyed. 
It's just as if we'd always been generous, just as if we'd always been full of love and joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. It's just as if you were the friend you always needed to be, just as if you were the husband you always needed to be, the wife you always needed to be, the parent, the mom or the dad, the employee or the boss, just as if you'd always lived righteously. That's how he looks at you. That's why you can be in a relationship with God. And he calls you to live for him, to obey him, because that's who your identity is in Christ. This is a whole different way to live. To go into this week thinking, I've got to live perfectly to earn a right standing with God so I'm not punished by Him. Versus, I have received His grace. He has declared me His and justified me so I live in the freedom that He offers. And I give Him all the glory, all the praise. There's nothing I could do to get that. That I give it all to Him, not me. I need, I need Romans 8.1 because I struggle with guilt and I feel like all the time I can't make it. I can't make it. I can't make it. As, I can't be the dad I'm supposed to be, the husband I'm supposed to be, the pastor. I'm, I'm not good enough. And I need Romans 8.1. I need this promise. That God says, get in Christ. Because in Christ, on the cross, Jesus was treated the way that you deserve. And God says, and guess what? Throughout eternity, I will treat you now the way Jesus deserves. And that's how amazing his grace is. That we are faultless to stand before his throne. Let's pray together. Will you accept this promise now? maybe for the first time, maybe in a fresh new way. Will you accept that you have sinned? You have sinned against God. You have violated the character of God. And just come before him and confess that to him. God, I'm not good enough. I can't make it. And then in return, receive from him no condemnation. Receive from him him separating your sin from you as far as the east is from the west. Removing your transgressions from you. God, thank you that because I am in Christ, you will not punish, reject, remove me. God, I know that I'm not good enough. And God, I recognize today that the glory is not mine to have. It's all yours. And I thank you for your non-condemning love for me. Just tell him today, God, I want to be in safe ground. I want to be in Christ. I believe Jesus lived the perfect life I could not live. He died in my place on the cross. And he rose victoriously from the dead. And come to him today in worship. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.